Hello and welcome to the Breakdown Podcast. I am Jamie Finch-Penninger and I am joined by Pat Shaw this time, formerly of Iceaway Sports Swiss Wellness and now more recently with Iceaway Sports, the company. Um, and we are lucky to be sitting here in an office that they provide us with to record the podcast. Pat, how you doing? Good to have you back. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's a bit of a break from the, the pod, but uh, I've been listening and been some great stuff uh, you've brought to us. Um, and yeah, here in Sydney for a couple of days to do some uh, brand awareness. Yeah, uh, I think most recently had a talk with Andrew Christie Johnson on the podcast just after Grafton to Inverell. He's a really interesting character to chat to. Um, what, what's been your experience with him in the past, um, Pat? You've on the team for a number of years, obviously. Oh, well, look, he's a fantastic guy, foremost. Um, but I think what a lot of people don't understand is that you got uh, Andrew Christie Johnson, the um, the coach and the manager of the cycling team, but you've also got Andrew Christie Johnson, the person that's uh, worried about those guys that uh, represent his team and what they'll do in their future and, and who they become. So it's not just about who you are while you're in his team. He still uh, is very much interested in knowing what you're doing after cycling and also trying to um, help you with avenues to do what you want to do after cycling. So it's, it really says a lot about him and a lot of people won't understand him unless they do actually know him personally. Yeah, I think he has that kind of grumpy, gruff exterior, um, but he's he's a real uh, he's a softy at heart and um, once you get to know him, he's a really good guy. Um, so yeah, go. I'll thoroughly recommend going back and listening to that if you haven't already. Uh, I think we'll probably move on. The topic of this uh, podcast is uh, Aussies who can go and ride in the World Tour. Um, Pat's obviously got some ideas about uh, who can do that and, you know, what sort of role that um, realistically um, exists in the World Tour for these sort of riders once they reach that level. Um, but first of all, um, should acknowledge that the Breakdown Podcast is sponsored by Out of the Rat Race Cycling Apparel. Uh, Pat, are you a fan of cycling kit that's comfortable, environmentally sustainable and odour resistant? Well, who's not? No, but seriously, um, it ticks a lot of boxes, doesn't it? Um, there's so many kit manufacturers now that you've got to find the one that fits and feels good. Um, and we all know that we all want to look sleek, so that's uh, at least 80% of uh, cycling. Yeah, well, as you say, it's a crowded market these days for kit manufacturers. But, you know, if you want something that's a bit different and high-end gear um, that is environmentally sustainable and odour-resistant, check out Out of the Rat Race .com.au or actually www.com.au. So we'll come back with more on these Australian riders at the World Tour. And we're back chatting riders who can potentially make the World Tour and I've made up a, a rough list here and I think we're going to start off with you know, riders who could slot in, Australian riders who could slot in to that World Tour level. They've developed, they've shown that they've got the ability, they've got the runs on the boards in terms of results, and they're just begging to be called up to the World Tour. And first on my list is Ben Dybel. Uh, Pat, you've, you know, obviously you've been watching Ben. He's a very different rider to what you were back in the day, but an incredibly strong climber and time trialist. He won the national national under 23 road race he's won a stage of the tour of japan tour of tasmania winner tour of bright winner third this year in the in the tt at nationals he's been second twice at the oceania's tt and he's currently in france um doing a bunch of amateur racing 
Um, and then he's going to do a stagiaire stint later in the year with Cofidis, which is pro-continental level. Um, Pat, Ben Dybul, is he is he that guy who can make that next step? He can definitely make the next step, but it's worth considering the legitimacy of World Tour. Just because you're in the World Tour doesn't exactly mean that you're set for life. You know, there's a lot of guys racing in World Tour that basically sit on the front or go and get drinks all day. And for a lot of people, that um, isn't really what living is about. And so Pro Continental suits better because the opportunities are there and the ability to uh, have a race plan um, prepared around you with your team supporting you rather than being that bottle boy, water boy all the time uh, or water girl. Um, and I suppose that Pro Continental's probably the level that Ben would know is where he could be. Um, I really don't believe World Tour is at where he's at at the moment. And I think uh, that he'll really find himself probably fit quite well into a team like Cofferty's because they'll go to races where they can actually have him ride for a result. Where if he goes to World Tour events, really, at this point, um, and it's not to say that Ben's not an exceptional bike rider, but the level at World Tour, particularly most of the guys that uh, um, are doing well, are literally the top 1% in the world. Um, And I think it'd be unfair to ask that of Ben, but what an amazing year he's had. Um, he turned it all around last year after winning uh, Tour of Tasmania and and a sent up uh, um, Poetina as the climb and uh, his time up there was just emphatic. Um, I was in the in the race myself. I really didn't think he had a chance to take the win. I thought um, from where he was coming from, but from there it looks like he really thought to himself, "Look, I'm going to give it one real red hot go." He's done a great early season in Australia headed over to Europe, into France, and he's just been fantastic in every race that he's done. His uh, fans over there and his team have been ecstatic with his efforts, and that's resulted in a potential stagiaire with Cofidis, which I believe he'll do really well in. Um, But I don't think he's World Tour. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I think that point is well taken that there are a lot of roles in in those World Tour teams that you feel like the, the bottle boy, as you said, um, and really, Ben needs to be a, a GC leader with his time trialing and um, climbing ability. But maybe, at, as you said, at that next level down. Um, next up on the list, uh, I've got Sean Lake here. Uh, again, incredibly incredibly talented, a bit on the older side. I mean, he's not old, old, but he, he's past that, um, that normal intake for the World Tour when you're like 23, 24, that sort of age, and getting brought into these teams. He's missed that boat because he was, of course, um, a very successful rower back in the day. Uh, but he's come over to cycling, and he's slimmed down a bit recently. He's lost a lot of that upper body muscle from rowing, and um, yeah, looks to have really become a cyclist, I'd say. Um, he's dual national, uh, dual Oceania champion, of course. Uh, last two years running, he's won both the road race and the and the inter- individual time trial. Third at Nats uh, time trial, not this year, last year. And, uh, of course, a two-time Grafton to win Varel winner. Um, Sean Lake from your old team, um, Pat. What, what's, the, what's the talk with him? Well, look, we don't know. I, I haven't heard anything about him for this year. He's over in Europe now. Um, but the differences between Sean Lake and Ben Dyble is that although they both can TT, and sometimes Ben can actually out-TT Sean, 
The one thing that Ben doesn't offer that Sean does is he could ride the front of the peloton for a substantial amount of time during races. And that's where I could see him slotting into a World Tour team. I don't see him as running as their first or second uh, choice in a race, but certainly he would get his opportunities in individual time trials, prologues. Um, but most of his work would be done as a workhorse. And so Sean Lake, for mine, still has a really good chance to make World Tour. And then after he gets there and does his apprenticeship, as you like, then he may have that opportunity to have a, a longer career than most would expect, maybe ride through to 34, 35, because of his time-trialing capabilities. We see guys like Sveen Tuft and uh, uh, those big time-trial types Rory Sutherland, they can do a long career because they can provide a service that very few can. Um, the one thing that does worry me about Sean Lake is he does seemingly struggle to back up in races longer than three days. Uh, so he needs to still work on that aspect. But certainly uh, last year he did uh, go and meet with Quickstep. And I think if he had another chance with them this year, maybe he does actually sign up to the World Tour. And uh, I think he would offer something quite great to a team like that. Yeah, oh, as you say, he's a powerhouse. And um, you, can, you know, there's many ways to use that power and it'd be good to see. Um, moving on to friend of the podcast, Ben Hill. Uh, I've been a massive fan of Ben. And I think anyone who actually enjoys watching racing in Australia knows Ben and appreciates his... Um, his style of riding. It's attacking, it's interesting, it's exciting. He gets off the front, he goes chasing points, mountains points, sprint jerseys, and he's a very exciting rider. Uh, he's won the Tour of Thailand in 2016, won the Tour de Chichigi uh, just this year, and he's also won the mountains jersey at the Herald Sun Tour this year, backing it up from the sprint jersey last year. Uh, he's unfortunately got a broken collarbone at the moment. I saw that he's back on the bike, though. I think I saw him doing a bit of Zwift training the other day. So he's just getting back to form now. And unfortunately, he's missed out on quite a lot of that European racing for a tacky team, Gusto. But, you know, do you, th do you think he could ever make World Tour? I mean, I, I see him maybe more that pro-conti level and attacking. And maybe if, a, maybe if a team like that gets a wild card, he'd be one of those really good riders who could just go in the break often for them. I think, um, and I meant it with all due respect because I got so much respect for Ben Hill. Um, had a lot of battles over the years, and uh, you're speaking about Zwift. We're meeting up soon, Ben, on Zwift Tuesday night, East E Crit. We're happen it's happening. I still got to do a bit more training though. With Ben, he's a bit of a rough diamond, really. Um, I think he could offer great things to a team, but I don't think he really fits in World Tour teams because they're so direct with their team plan. So they'll have a set leader. They ride for one or two riders. Ben Hill's the type of guy that would really fit well in a team like uh, uh, Roubaix or um, you know, or even Cofferty's uh, uh, like Ben Dial. A team of pro continental. And continental level, he's really good because he goes to races, gets underrated, and he's such a tough fighter that he'll always generate a result, whether it be a King of the Mountains jersey, a sprint jersey, most aggressive rider. He always gets something. So he's going to add, get your reward for your investment in him as a rider. World Tour, I don't think so. I think it's gone. But I don't think he's under any illusions about that. I think Ben just loves the, the battle, the, the competition. And I think that's why he does so well and he's so uh, consistent. He has had a broken collarbone and that has ruined a fair bit of this mid-season. But don't be surprised he comes out the back end of this season and really produces some top-end results. Um, 
I think that the bigger thing for Ben is that he just keeps doing what he's doing. I think that uh, World Tour is definitely beyond him. Um, but it doesn't mean that he can't capture some really great results going forward. Yeah, and he's certainly um, he's certainly doing quite well in Asia at the moment, and you can make a career out of that, as we've seen like guy, with guys like Jai Crawford, for instance, um, who could arguably be on this list. He's a very good rider himself. Um, for an, another person moving on now, uh, moving on to Neil Vanderplug, and he's one of these guys I could see doing a job for a team because he's just the ultimate team player. You see it week in, week out um, on the Australian scene. I remember he was in- incredibly crucial to winning, uh, to Joe Cooper winning the, uh, what, what's it called, the New Zealand Cycle Classic earlier in this year where he just did a ton of work for him on, on that decisive stage there and split up the race. Um, third at Nationals, fourth at Nationals in the past. He's won a two of China stage and of course just won the Grafton to Inverell the other day in some in a purple patch of form at the moment Pat yeah well I think that was a great win by uh, Neil and I'd gone on to I went on a social media and I said that it was a good sort of payback for him because he does uh, put a lot into the sport not only on the bike but off the bike he's a character we love him you know he's, he's an enjoyable guy to know but that shouldn't have uh, it shouldn't affect our um, scoring system and uh, I don't think he's World Tour level uh, I think he can race at World Tour level but he can't be at World Tour level if that makes sense so if he was in an event where World Tour teams were there he can be uh, competitive there's no doubt about that but could he do a season in World Tour and produce what you would say is a pass grade unfortunately I wouldn't However, to a pro-continental team, he could definitely add a lot. And the great thing about Neil is that he's not a one-dimension uh, rider. He can be fast on the line. He can ride the cobbles. He can climb, in fact, um, really quick on the line. He'd be a great lead-out man for those punchy sprinters. Um, and he can make those breakaways, too, because of his accelerations. He can get into those hard breaks. Um, I've really loved his season so far this year. But I just think it's a couple of years late. Um, and and that's just the reality of the sport we're in. All these guys we're mentioning could fit into any World Tour team at any sort of position that suits them. But the problem is, is they're not looking to fill that spot. These teams are looking to fill specific spots. And so there might be three World Tour teams looking for a time trialer. So Sean Lake's got three positions to fill in the World Tour. But he's probably fighting about 80 riders to fill those three positions. So 77 go home without a World Tour contract. So it's unfair to say these guys aren't good bike riders because everyone we've spoken about is is exceptionally talented. But the reality is is that World Tour really just is that premium, you know, no-fault rider that gets in and and these guys unfortunately have had a few too many years yeah well it's worth noting a lot of them got late starts uh, for whatever reason um talk about a few sprinters now um we're, we're going a bit ice away heavy here but uh nothing nothing wrong with that when you guys hoover up all the best riders uh anyway it's uh, jesse kerrison and scott sunderland here scott's um quite a bit older than jesse actually i think he's 20 29 at the moment um, whereas Jesse's, I think he's first year out of under 23, so he'd be 23 or 24. Um, both very quick. Scott Sunderland, he's got to be one of the quickest in the world, you would think, if you came, if you put the sprinters next to each other and just said go for 200 metres, uh, Scott Sunderland's got to be one of the quickest guys around. Yeah, well, that's certainly correct. He showed that uh, earlier in the year uh, before Cadell Evans Road Race where they did the Melbourne uh 
Criterium Grand Prix race around the Grand Prix circuit there and I was lucky to be the director of the team that day and he's not only is he quick but he's a really easy rider to work with um, when you direct him and you to give him instruction and the feedback it's really quite clear and he's easy to work with so I could actually see him sliding into a world tour team pretty easily maybe not as their frontline sprinter initially maybe even as a lead out man um, and I think he'd be extremely good at that I know we talk about how fast he is but to riders with a bit more experience in the World Tour bunch because the sprints are absolutely hectic. Like, it's crazy. Um, and for someone, oh, I used to love that sort of thing, but it's even, you know, a little bit crazy even in my mind. Is sometimes you're going so close in those finishes, so you need to learn how to navigate. Um, so maybe as a lead-out man for a season and then get opportunities in some smaller races and develop still. I don't think he's too old. Because of the style of uh, Scott Sunderland, he has that ability to ride later into his career as well but I think it is something that would stop a team from being as interested as if he was 26 or 25 um, I wouldn't write him off just yet he had a fantastic first stage victory in uh, Langkawi this year and that really put his name up on the board but he really needs to go on and do something big at Korea I think if he took a couple of stages at Tour of Korea and maybe even the GC I think there would be plenty of teams that are light on sprinters in the World Tour and would take him over many others. Yeah, and he's shown that he's more than just a a sprinter these days. He's got he's got a he's got a lot of um potential to ride those longer races as well. We saw that when he won the Melbourne to Warner Bull, um, getting over um whatever it was, two hundred and seventy Ks or whatever it was that on that edition and, you know, coming through with a sprint at the end, it's not easy to do. Maintain your power of that sort of distance. And he took that out convincingly. Okay. Uh Jesse Kerrison, a bit of a sprinty climber. I believe they call them splimers these days, which isn't particularly easy to say. Um but he's a bit more of a versatile sprinter, um and can come to the line and still sprint with the best but also get over the hard stuff. Yeah, certainly Jesse's got what it takes, it's no doubt, and he, I think that he's also made a transition into this season. Uh, I don't know whether it was because he joined a squad that he felt like he needed to step up to plate to uh, earn his spot, but he has slimmed down, he's a lot more professional in his approach, his uh, dietary side has improved too, so... Um, he's doing all the right things. He's not quite at World Tour yet. He's probably just sneaking in pro Conti at the moment. He's got the age on his side still a little bit. He's probably got another 12 months and he really needs to pull out some big results. But I believe he can do it. He just needs probably more on his side. It's probably more a bit of belief. Belief that he can do it um, and, and getting the job done. Because he's got the talent... But sometimes I think he might second-guess himself, and, and that's probably what holds him back a little bit. But uh, unlike a lot of the others that we've spoken about, he's only 24 years of age this year. And so if he can do something special from now to 26, anything is possible. Yeah, I think being a sprinter is one of those things where you have to have an ego, like being a, a fighter pilot or something like that. You have to have the confidence that that is your gap. Yes, you're going for it, and then, yes, you're going to last it all the way to the line. And also to be that leader and demand things of a lead-out, demand things of your team. I mean, it's not it's not for everyone, is it? No, it's difficult. And then you talk about demanding those things, and you're, you are right, but there's ways to do it as well. And ultimately, you've got to earn the respect of your teammates first. And really, before you ask them for it, they've got to want to give it to you. So even though you are asking, they've already voluntarily you know, given it. And uh, 
I think that's one thing that stands out for Scott Sunderland for me is that um, in his current lineup and this team that will head to Tour of Korea in a couple of days, to, oh, they're there already, should I say. He has their support. They love racing for him. And I think that's an overwhelming thing. If you've got someone like that, and um, Steele von Hoff and I had a special relationship like that, and um, the people that are leading you out will put it all on the line for you. And look, they're winning your races more than you are. Uh, so it's about building those relationships first and then making the most of it when those um, those guys do the job. Another sprinter who 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 maybe doesn't quite have that relationship at times with his teammates is uh, Brenton Jones. I feel that um, a number of times I've the occasional problems with his, him and his lead out. Um, he's obviously an incredibly t- talented rider and he has you know speed to burn as we saw with his. Um, Jewels with Caleb Ewan um, over the Australian, well, past Australian summers. Unfortunately, he's always found Caleb in front of him, hasn't he? But it's, uh, yeah, obviously he's got the talent, he's got the speed, but um, will he find his way into one of those high-level squads? I feel reluctant in saying, but no. I don't think he'll get to World Tour, but I think he'll be a very, very good pro-continental sprinter, and he will be uh, their number one or number two sprinter on a squad like that. I believe that there's a lot of interest in him as a rider. If he was to make World Tour, I wouldn't be surprised, but I'm just, I believe that he would be better in a pro-continental team where he'd get more support. I think he's had an absolute fantastic year. He seems really happy at JLT Condor. Uh, I know they're happy with him. He's playing team role on the nights that don't suit him and the days that don't suit him, and then he's getting the lead-outs to win, and he's winning. hes uh, I don't even know how many wins he's had now this year, but it would be over a handful. They've been good wins, and they haven't even headed to Asia yet. Um, I'm sure he'll line up at Tour of Korea this week. I'm not sure. I haven't seen start list. But he will have success there if he does. And that'll be a great battle. Scott Sunderland, Brenton Jones. It might be the difference of who signs for the bigger team. Um, but Brenton Jones, regardless of what happens, can be very proud of the way that he's approached this season and the way that he's moved forward, I think, matured a lot. Um, and uh, I say that as a past teammate, that he, he needed to mature. He definitely did, and I think he's done that. Um, yeah, well, he might as well just stay with JLT. I mean, that is an absolutely stacked roster and it wouldn't be out of place in a lot of pro-continental um, races. So I don't know what they're planning to do. Maybe they'll uh, take the step up to pro-conti next year, which would be good because they're, they're one of the teams that comes down to Australia all the time and, yeah, good good team to have around the sticks and certainly they've got a lot of talent on there, guys like Ian Bibby, um, Who's their, who's their sprint? Alex Frame as well. They've got some really impressive riders there. Um, moving on now, Cameron Meyer. Uh, been a been a long time in the World Tour for him. He did a did a did a good job whilst he was there. I felt um, maybe not quite up to the expectations that everyone had for him after he won the Tour Down Under um, when he was racing for UniSA and everyone had him pegged as the next big thing as he was developing winning stages with in the Tour de Suisse. And obviously he won the Herald Sun Tour as well. So he had that potential that everyone was talking about and it never really happened at uh, Orica. And then Dimension Data didn't last um, because because of his personal issues. He's come back. He's got on the track. He's looking great. He's gone to the road. He's done very well in the 2017 results. He was third at Cadell's, fourth overall at Herald Sun, uh, third overall 
at Anpost Rest, that very hard Irish race, and recently just won a Belgian race over there, um, racing with that uh, men's track endurance squad. I don't know. Does he want to go back to World Tour level, and can he make it at that level? Yeah, he wants to, and yes, he will. Um, I think the writing's on the wall, really. It's, uh, everything, everything's pointing at him riding for Orica next year. Uh, it's um, Look, I'd love to go in deep about it. I don't feel good about the process that's taken place for him leaving Dimension Data in the terms. It seemed that he had his personal issues, which he took care of, but he's made an incredible comeback. I think he just wasn't happy with the environment there more than anything. And he's well and truly world tour level. You know, he's world tour level every day of the week. He's never been any different. We've seen what he's done on the track this season. He's more... Uh, invigorated, his um, confidence has come back as well. We've seen the way he races. He's winning the Belgian Classic, a minor classic the other day over the cobbles was brilliant. But um, it just seems like there's always been a plan there and it wasn't about refining his love for the sport. I don't think he ever lost it. I think he just needed to have an out from Dimension Data. Um, he got that. And whatever he does going forward, it doesn't matter to anyone else but him, as long as he's happy and in a good place. But I just think that um, particularly him riding for national team over summer was a bit of uh, a funny one for me. I think he added experience to those rosters, but ultimately he had his chance before and he decided to step out of World Tour and he robbed some young riders of the ability to do those events. So, yes, he will go back to World Tour. He deserves to be there, but um, I just didn't like the sort of way that he did it. Um, this time around well I mean if you you can only take what you're offered and if he's offered a spot and he's given a chance to go racing in a race like Anpost Rest where you're going to get your name um, out there and make sure that the World Tour teams don't forget about you I don't think we can fault him for doing that what what we can fault I don't know probably Cycling Australia more for is saying okay it's an under 23 team uh, but we've got this you know 29 year old coming along with you you guys so anyway um, move on to Cam Bailey now he's Probably my last one uh, for the for this bit. We'll get back to some youngsters in a bit, but uh, Cam Bailey, can he? He he's he's dropped he's dropped um, to Isoa to um, get a bit more get a bit more racing in him and really get through that pathway which has been established um, through Isoa to getting to the World Tour. Will he be the lucky one this year? He's been obviously incredibly consistent throughout the last few seasons in Asia. He was desperately unlucky not to win Taihu Lake last year, crashing in that last... Um, it was like the final 15 kilometres of the last stage to to um, lose the race, which is absolutely heartbreaking stuff. And obviously he was uh, fourth this year at, um, at Nationals, so just off the podium and probably just out of people's consideration, um, unfortunately. So, um, anyway, Pat, what's your opinion on Cam Bailey? I think when Cam Bailey's at his best, he could probably go head-to-head with almost any level of rider. But, uh, unfortunately, it's consistency that probably is the one that, for me, that sort of um, is missing. Um, He does have his bad races, and when they are bad, they're usually really bad. Um, This year, it seems that he's bucked the trend a little bit because he's been very consistent we just need to keep seeing that. Um, like I said at the start, when he produces his best, he is unbelievable to watch. He is really quite a brilliant rider. 
But I just need him to win one of those big ones. You mentioned he's unlucky last year in, in losing the tour in that crash. But it's more about him going to places like the Herald Sun Tour um, and then getting his start in the Tour Down Under and, and races like that and really making the most of those big events. Him, like Ben Hill, I think is fantastic in a pro-continental level. I think they're very similar, and I think when they're at Attaque Gusto together, they're amazing because they're all that one-two punch. And really, they um, were just as uh, dangerous as, as, as each other, uh, which made them difficult to, to compete against. But he's in a team full of really good bike riders, and we'll just see what he produces in Europe. He gets his opportunity. He wanted to go back to Europe. He's in a group that he's happy with. And uh, hopefully he can produce some really big results and get himself uh, a big contract. Well, we'll move over to the women now for a for a little bit. Um, we're just kind of bundling in together the the older riders and the junior riders in this one. Uh, first of all, Lucy Kennedy is the new Amy Gillett uh, Foundation scholarship holder, and she should do a great job with that. She thoroughly deserves it, both from a personal standpoint. Um, she's thoroughly interested in the in the activities of the Amy Gillett Foundation, and she works as a traffic controller. Um, well, in traffic management. I don't think she's one of the girls holding the lollipops. Uh, I think she's a bit more in-depth than that. And she and she's obviously got the results um, on the board to indicate that she deserves the scholarship as well. Her third at Nationals was amazing. She was she was essentially just as strong as um, the Orica uh, Scott pair of Amanda Spratt and Catherine Garfoot, but the way that the tactics played out in the race, she was just isolated next to them and... Um, and then, then it was only when, yeah, well, what, what was happening was she was catching up to Spratt and Garfoot um, went, oh, God, and launched off the front and then dragged Spratt away from from uh, from Lucy there. So when, you, when you're only beaten by essentially Kat Garfoot in a race, that's not too shabby at all. Uh, she, she'll be going over to Europe with the Australian National Development Team, should show herself well there, I would think, and hopefully from there secure a World Tour contract. Um, Pat... You've, you've had plenty of opportunity to see her now. I called her at the national championships. What's the opinion? Plain and simple. She is a brilliant rider. She just needs to work on her tactical side and learn the cycling IQ of how it all works. I think she could have easily got rid of one of the other two Orica girls if she had have attacked first and gone on the front foot. But a fantastic ride at nationals. She'll get good results when she goes over to Europe. There's no questions asked as long as the racing's hard. Um, I can see her netting some really good results and probably Orica will pick her up. If not, if they don't, someone will. She'll be World Tour next year for sure um, and I have no issues in, in making that claim because she has, the, she has the package, she's ready, she's good enough, she produces the power required and we saw that in the uh, Tour in Mercer Valley which was the last women's NRS event. She crashed in the time trial, unfortunately, hurt herself, but she went out and won the next two stages by an absolute truckload of time um, and really showed just how brilliant she is. She's too good to be here in Australia and uh, she'll do well over in Europe. Yeah, she is one of those riders who's next level when it gets to the climbs. One one problem I do have with her, as you mentioned, is maybe that race now. Um, I remember watching uh, was the National Capital Tour last year and... Um, talking to you pat and you were commenting what, what's the yellow jersey doing back of the pack at, at one point because it was on that crit circuit which is pretty pretty hairy around there when it's wet um in in canberra and we were, we were both kind of wondering well why isn't the team 
uh, was in the team protecting her? Wasn't she riding better position? And I think that it's going to be a it's going to be an interesting betting in period at World Tour level when riding position becomes that much more important against riders which are much more her level. Yeah, but she goes in breakaways. I reckon that's where we'll see a produced result will be. She'll go in a breakaway and she just won't come back or she'll get caught by one or two others. I don't think she's going to win or get a result by being tactically smarter than the rest just yet, but it's something that she can learn with her experience in Europe. So, um, yeah, I think from a breakaway, she's strong enough she could get a result and that's what I expect that she will do. A few youngsters now and Madeline Fashnacht and Jessica Pratt both look like Incredibly, incredible talents in the younger ranks. I was a bit worried about the the youth talent coming through uh, in in the junior women's ranks, um, but now that I've seen a few of those um, Tasmanian Institute of Sport riders in the last uh, few races, and um, Jessica Pratt as well, really coming through the ranks. She's a Queensland rider. It's it's looking. It's I'm feeling a lot better about it now. Um, now that we've got some of those youngsters, Jessica Pratt, she's. She's actually quite noisy for a youngster. Most youngsters are quite quiet. They um, don't say too much. They're a bit self-conscious. Um, she's not like that. She's happy to get around, be a bit bossy in, inside the peloton, give orders, push her way around, which is which is good. And it's and she's very very rarely far away from the front of the race. Always good signs. Madeline Fastenacht is just a very good talent. Um, she climbs better than anyone um, her age. She sprints better than anyone her age. She's the real te- the real. The real uh, hard bit will be keeping her in cycling, I think, because there'll be plenty of other uh, things pulling on her on her mind. So hopefully we can get her over there in the national development team and see how she goes. Um, Peter Mullins is the next one I've got up, and she's over in the US at the moment, absolutely cleaning up on the on the crit scene. I think she got three wins from three um, the other day, and she won the Tulsa Tough overall, which includes the famous Crybaby Crybaby Hill. If you're familiar with the with the local racing over in America, and Peter Mullins, just a superb talent, obviously mountain biker, a national champion in the past, she could she could slot into world tour level. Oh, she could easily do that. The only thing she doesn't do is race BMX. <laughs> she does CX, she does mountain bike, and she does the road as well. Um, she's a fantastic talent. And we love watching her race because she's a entertainer. Um, and she gives it her everything every time, and she's never happy with anything but first. Um, it's great to see her doing really well over in America. I don't know about World Tour. I don't know if she's even interested in doing World Tour. That's the thing with her, and I think um, some of the riders that we'll talk about going forward, some of them will not find uh, that World Tour does suit them, and look, we've seen it in the past. Uh, I know you've got Lizzie Williams down, She's a rider, obviously, there was World Tour with Orica, and she stepped away from it because the stresses, and she couldn't uh, find happiness in what she was doing. And I think that's something to to think about, too. I always thought about if I had been lucky enough to make World Tour level, whether I would have stayed and tried to pursue it or whether it would have been too demanding even for myself, who is an absolute lover of cycling in all aspects of it. I think that too much of uh, the focus sometimes goes on the fact that you're in the world to a level or at the highest level that your sport can put you at and not enough focused on the fact that there's so many demands on you consistently um, that it can sometimes be overwhelming. And unfortunately, some people are not wired for that lifestyle. 
Others are, and that's why they have 20-year careers. But some people aren't, and that's why you see surprise situations like uh, Cam Meyer last year had to step out for a while um, because it's not an easy way of life. You know, yes, it's a fantastic thing to say, oh, I'm an elite sports person, that's what I do for my lifestyle, that's how I earn my, uh, my page, you know, month. But there's a lot of demands of you, uh, physically, mentally, um, and socially. Well, yeah, I spoke to Peter Mullins at Tour Bright last year, and um, she she was basically saying, you know, I'm doing what's making me happy now. That's that's what she wants to do with her life, and you know, going over to the US, racing with, uh, racing with a smaller team, riding with her boyfriend, um, doing some mountain bike um, things, you know, preparing for Commonwealth Games down the line as well as a big goal of hers. So yeah, she's happy where she is, and I don't think we will see her in World Tour level, as you said, Pat. Uh, Lizzie Williams again, probably the same. She found it. She's found a good away onto a good team there in the Hagen's Berman's uh, Hagen's Berman uh, team there and you know that's a really nice team actually they've got a good boss in John O'Coulter who brings a great atmosphere to the team and it's just a b- good bunch of women there who do do a great job uh, moving on to Beck Wyzak now another one of these athletes who has other goals as well she's still committed to the track um, she's getting on a bit she's about 32 or 33 at the moment um, but she's recommitting to the track and looking ahead to maybe the Tokyo Olympics, obviously bitterly disappointed to miss out on Rio. Um, but she's one that has to keep an eye on both the track side of things as well as supplementing it with the road. She's riding with Fearless Femme over in the States at the moment, which is actually just an exclusively a crit team, which probably isn't the worst thing for her because, you know, criteriums are her bread and butter. I mean, that's the sort of power she puts out and maybe it's where she could end up uh, full-time or she could use that power to go World Tour. What do you think, Pat? I think World Tour probably is a no just because of the age, but she's a brilliant talent, and um, I must admit I really enjoy watching her race, much like her boyfriend, Ben Hill. Uh, they're entertaining riders. I think she puts it all on the line, and um, and that's what probably excites us so much when we watch her race. But she's also very passionate. Uh, she's passionate about what she does and she also you know she was upset to miss out on Rio and so she bloody should have been (laughs) she should have been there plain and simple there's no questions asked and uh you know but I don't see her as someone that's wearing that around going like like as in wants pity on it she wants to just go out there and just do a good job I have never seen her once without a smile on her face and so I don't think she'll make World Tour, but I don't think it's going to change her life. I think she's happy and she enjoys what she's doing. And I, and I do hope she goes to the Olympics to make up for uh, missing out on the previous. Um, yeah, thoroughly delightful person as well, Beck. And I don't know, maybe she's got a f- future in the cycling media later, late, landscape later. I mean, she was a journalist in the past. Maybe she goes back to those roots. Uh, Macy Stewart, another interesting one. Another rider who's stepped away from the World Tour scene, but she's back with reinvigoration and uh has really brought you know a bit more passion back to her cycling from the looks of things um i don't know pat you saw her down at uh two of the southwest there uh, as the women's nrs race down there and i can tell you holden were really worried about her um speaking to them after the race they were trying to mark her out of the race and in that final stage they let the break go and nearly jeopardized uh, leeson hawking's win by uh, because they were just so uh, afraid of macy stewart well, yeah, certainly, and uh, she was unbelievable in that crit. And what I saw was Macy Stewart, not only Macy Stewart that was, 
I think she was better than the Macy Stewart she was, and that's only going to bode that she improves again. Some of the things that she was doing, and particularly the way that she has taken a leadership role in that uh, Tasmanian uh, Institute of Sport Dulux team, is amazing. Like, uh, you can see those other girls look up to her. Uh, she really makes them work hard. They did everything they could to, to get her up for a, a good result. And as you said, Holden's uh, hand was forced and they had to go on the, the front foot and they almost uh, blew it all away. It was only for another rider we'll talk about later, and Shannon Melseed, that saved the day for them. And in the end, it sort of come back together, so they took a 1-2 in the, in the GC. But... Uh, Macy Stewart definitely will too. It's not a problem for her to get back there if she wants it. That's a funny thing. It's an option for some of these girls and um, some of the guys higher up would uh, die for that option, uh, that choice. Um, but it's like I said before, some people are made for that environment and some people aren't. But we're definitely flattered in Australia for women's talent. Um, and right now is a time where we could see, you know, another six or seven girls go to the World Tour level in women's cycling next year. It is it is worth noting that World Tour level means a lot different from between the men and the women. The women are struggling to make ends meet, even if they are on some of those bigger teams, even in the World Tour level. Maybe maybe the biggest teams these days, like your Wiggles, your Bowles Dormans, you know, those riders are okay these days. But even even the other even the other World Tour teams. Um, you know, speaking to riders, they're scrapping to make ends meet a lot of the time. Um, whereas the men, most of them are on a decent salary. Most of them, you know, they're getting by comf- comfortably enough. So it's really a lifestyle decision as well for the women, which I think, you know, does need to play into their thinking. And with a lot of them, what they do is they go off, they get their education, and then maybe they come back to cycling and have a go at it then. So it's a it's a very different thought um, decision making process for the women than the men. Um, anyway, we'll move on. Uh, Leeson Hawkins, there's there's a, a, an extreme example I think of going away again your education. She's a she's a she's a doctor in um, anesthesiology and very accomplished as well. She writes papers. She gets um, critically acclaimed by her peers, and she's got a career. But and I put it to her. Well, you probably don't want to have a go at the world tour then, and she's like. No, no, I'd, I'd have a go if I was given the opportunity because, you know, you only live one life and you only get one chance to make your impression on this world and she just want would love it, love to have a go. Unfortunately, she's got a broken collarbone at the moment. She's a bit accident-prone, Leeson. Um, she, she's fallen off the bike and broken stuff a bit, broke her vertebrae in her neck last year and amazing that she came back from that and um, just unfortunate that she's broken her collarbone here. Um, obviously, the... T- Probably the preeminent talent in Australian cycling at the moment. Strange to say, to, of a 37-year-old, um, Pat, what's the what's the thinking here? Oh, she could definitely do it if she gets the opportunity. But as you said, the injuries they're mounting, and unfortunately, it's not a good thing because you're getting setbacks all the time. And uh, but it would not surprise me. And very much like Lucy Kennedy, only difference in age. They're very similar bike riders. Um, and if she had a shot at World Tour, I think she would be successful. Um, probably very successful. She's probably she's probably the most World Tour ready of all these riders we're talking about here. She she would be a very good teammate, I feel, for somebody. She could do lead outs um, or be you know like that second last person on the climb. She's just got that ability to be there and make a difference in races, and you see that um, consistently on the Australian scene. Um, on t- on now to a uh, 
a friend of yours almost, Pat, lives locally uh, to you down in Ballarat, and uh, Shannon Malseed is the one we're talking about from Holden Women's Racing. And, yeah, she's been over to Europe a few years in her own now, and there's been that consistent development, but I don't think we've seen Shannon like she's been this year. She turned up um, at the Bay Crits and Nationals, looking the best I've ever seen her. She's switched on, racing hard, racing well, and she looks like she's ready to take that next step. Yeah, she'll laugh at that almost, a friend. <laughs> um, certainly, yeah. She's also developed another aspect where she's now reading bike races better as well. So a national criterion uh, race was really quite smart and brilliant. And then in the road race at national championships, she was you know, a really great ride and she's developed so much over that summer period. She now will head to Europe at the end of the month and then there will be a chance. She really needs to make it this time. It needs to be some results. And she's ready and I, I believe in her. So um, I really think that very much like uh, Lucy Kennedy, she's far too good to be here racing in Australia and she should be in Europe full time. Um, yep, moving on. Grace Brown took the step up from Victorian... Uh, the VRS last year, which, which she won. She was the overall winner there. Um, I think Chris Harper was the winner in the men's, and then we'll probably talk about later. Um, but, yeah, Grace Brown running back round, and she's come into the sport and done very well in her first few races at NRS level. Be maybe a few years for her before she can go World Tour. Um, hopefully she gets a chance over there in the national development team this year. Don't be surprised in 12 months' time that she's made that progress, to be honest. I've... Hadn't heard of her and saw a race at uh, Tour of uh, the Southwest, and wow, she blew me away. She can also time trial uh, a very good, um, very good in that discipline. Um, but the thing that she's got on her side that helps her the most is she's very fit. She doesn't have to do a lot to her body to be ready for World Tour. She just needs to improve her uh, probably her ability to to be uh, uh, be cycling related, physically uh, strong. So. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see her in 12 months signing with a pretty big team. Um, okay, well, that about wraps it up for the women. I'm sure there's plenty of names we've forgotten off there, but um, leave us a message if you if there's anyone that you really think deserves a mention. We'll maybe put it into the next podcast. Um, we're now talking about youngsters on the male scene, and there are a lot of them at the moment. Um, just starting off with the Mitchell and Scott guys. Um, it's one of the best climbing generations i think we've had in terms of talent in well it is the best climbing generation in talent in terms of talent in australian cycling history um you've got guys like jack haig rob power already in the world tour damien Housen as well another youngster though he looks pretty old with his gray hair um and then you've got the mitchell and scott guys uh, i'll just rattle them off quickly lucas hamilton jai hinley michael storer robert stannard um sam jenner and harry sweeney i think those last two might be lucky to make world tour level or a higher level even but those guys at the top of the list lucas hamilton i'm big i'm a big fan i'll i'll admit that straight away uh won the mountains jersey at tour de l'avenir he was second on the queen stage which and that was coming out of the peloton not a breakaway um and then he had a purple patch at the start of 2017 he won the oceanias um then he got five podiums in a row in nation's cup events um we, I've added a little bit um, of a, a segment, I suppose, onto this bit. Um, I'll just put it in their best development category so far. And we all know Lucas is a great uh, climber, but he's really added a sprint to his repertoire as well. So you see him winning those um, 
reduced bunch sprints coming down to the end of these things. So he came second at nationals because he won the sprint from the from the second group there, and he came second at the criterium as well, which was a surprise result given that he's a climber essentially. Yeah, he's done really well to add that uh, punchy. Uh, spurt to the line which you'll need in Europe and they, we've seen that already in the results that he's produced already yeah look every one of the guys that you've mentioned really is going to have a chance at world tour but it's a long step you know the the, the guys that have really surprised me recently Alex Edmondson stepped into world tour this year and he's really <laughs> absolutely blown it away he's been emphatic Jack Hague you're speaking about have a look how many years it's taken him but now he's starting to really produce what's required these guys are probably on the same sort of pathway as Jack Hague um your, your Hamilton your Henley and your store are probably need another three years of developing it's not to say that they stay in a pro continental setup but they won't be a good world tour rider until that stage um but uh they deserve the opportunity yeah um so we've got uh, hamilton henley what about michael story you were speaking off air about how you you've been super impressed by his development i mean he came in with um, a bit of puppy fat, I think we've called it in the past, um, but he shed that. He looks leaner, he looks harder, and he looks like a bike rider now, most importantly. Yeah, and he can still strip a hell of a lot more, I'll um, tell you. Like, he still isn't lean, but uh, that's how much he had on, and he was already very good. You know, he's had basically four years of World Tour races uh, with the Cadell Evans Road Race and, and the teams that have turned up to the Herald Sun Tour and a few other events that he's done. He's actually been racing against really high-caliber athletes already, so the, his exposure's probably been longer than what some of the others have. Um, and look, he's the one that's continued to improve um, exponentially each year. Um, I think in 12 months' time, uh, he'll be a better bike rider again, but I don't think we'll see him move up to another level until the end of next year. It's interesting, you mentioned that um, Hamilton and Henley are probably like, hey, I see Storer as being a lot like Rob Power, actually, in that terms of that t- terms of raw power, but maybe not having the sort of racing ability that we see with, hey, Hamilton and Henley, those guys. Um, Robert Stannard, uh, just about qualifies as an Australian these days. Um, obviously, he's he's probably the opposite of Storer. If if you if you put it if you put a picture of a quintessential bike rider in in a magazine or online or whatever, um, you'd pick, you'd do a picture of Robert Stannard because he just looks the picture right down to you know right down to his cleats. He's an amazing physical specimen and he's showing his ability. He won a stage at uh, Rhone Alps Isede, which is probably definitely not how you pronounce it, um, which is you know an age race, and he beat guys like Tommy Vockler there, um, and he was second at the ITT this year in the under twenty three. He's just a very good talent. Um, you've actually raced against him, Pat. Um, what's your opinion on Stanard? Uh, I think he's still in the developmental stages of his career. He's very up and down. Uh, when he races his best, he is unbelievable. When he races below that, he's pretty terrible. He has put some really rough old performances in. I think with this type of rider, he does tend to have his day in the light and then he has those days where he just helps the team out. I think he must be a guy that's um, very unselfish, so he's more than happy to, to ride for the team even if he thinks he's got a chance in a, in a race. 
Um, and I've seen him be very happy for others' success, so that will bode well for him anyway. He'll, he'll go to the highest level if he wants to because the opportunity will produce itself. Someone will be looking for him. He's of such a young age and he's such brilliant talent that um, yeah, it would uh, be silly not to see him go world tour. Yeah, he's only 18 at the moment, and to be doing the sort of things that he is is quite incredible. I think we were expecting better from him in the, at the uh, World Cup, or not World Cup, the World Championships last year, but maybe the heat got to him there. Uh, there's plenty of reasons why he wouldn't have worked. Um, somebody who did do quite well was Harry Sweeney for Australia. Uh, Robert Stanhope was racing for New Zealand at that stage in the World Championships. But no, Harry Sweeney racing for Australia came 10th, uh, I think, in the road race, and... Um, another 18-year-old. He's got potential. Um, I'm not sure if we'll if we'll see him develop into that world tour rider, but I don't know. I'll, I'll be proved wrong there, Pat. Uh, definitely got the ability, but he's had a huge setback this year with the injury that he had to his leg, I think it was, and it's taken him a while to recover from that. He's back racing with the group of guys now, and that will help him get back into the shape that he needs to be in uh, He's a fantastic rider. He's got an extreme amount of talent, and I loved like watching him race last year in the National Road Series. Did a lot of things right, um, and he's got an unbelievable engine for a smaller guy. Um, he, he's got a big engine, but he's not super big like Stanard. Stanard carries a bit of weight. Um, Harry Sweeney's definitely got what it takes. Okay, Sam Jenner, the guy who... I call him the surprise packet. He won, won under 23 nationals when he wasn't exactly on the radar. He wasn't picked up by Mitchell and Scott at that point. They'd already named um, the riders that they had re-signed, and he wasn't one of them, and he went out there, blew them all away. Um, second on Armpost Rass, final stage as well. Um, he's a rider who wasn't really on anyone's radar before he joined up with the, the then uh, World Tour Academy, um, but he's... Apparently, just train the house down there with those riders. They always talk about what a what a nice guy is and what a hard trainer he is. And his development has just kept on progressing as he's gone. I mean, I don't want to say that um, he can't make the world tour level because he's just developed year after year. Yeah, he's one of those guys. I don't know if he's been blessed with much talent, but he definitely works hard. And look, his win in the national championships was an unbelievable ride. And I uh, always thought he was going to get caught, I must admit. And uh, I sold him short because his ride was fantastic. However, he's still got a lot of developing to do. He has had a couple of okay results since then. But he's really he's had a pretty tough going this, uh, this season already. So he put everything into the Nationals. He got the reward that you want when you put everything into it. Got the gold medal and got the, the, the fleece. So he's still wearing the National Champions jersey everywhere he goes anyways. But uh, he really needs to step it back up again. Um, now, uh, some youngsters outside the Mitchell and Scott thing, um, which is probably where we should concentrate a bit. Um, Dylan Sunderland, obviously a phenomenal talent, and everyone in the Grafton Peloton was talking about how strong he was without without him being able to get away and actually do a result because everyone would just jump on his wheel every time he moved. Um, fun, fun stat, no Sunderland has actually won the Grafton to Inverell, which is a funny one considering how much they dominate the the cycling uh, discussion up from Inverell. But yeah, interesting one there. Um, can he can he make the next step? He does he does a fair bit of racing over in Belgium already. He certainly got what it takes, but I don't know if he's going to produce the results that will warrant him to get a a, a try at World Tour level. 
Um, he's a fantastic talent, but I think he really got knocked around last year by that big crash in uh, tour of the Great South Coast. Um, it was a terrible fall to see and witness, and um, it really knocked him about. Hats off to him to make a comeback as quickly as he has. Had a great national championships where he showed that he has got what it takes, but the heat knocked him around a bit, it seemed. Um, I'm really undecided with Dylan, to be honest, because it'd be unfair to say he can't make it. But it also, I think, it would be pumping his tyres up a bit to say at this point that he will make it. Yeah, he he probably needs the results now that his talent um, has shown that he deserves. He needs to, you know, get get on a probably a better team. No no offence to New, New South Wales Institute of Sport there, but a team that goes overseas a bit more regularly. I know they're in the states at the moment. I saw Aiden Tuvey won won a stage the other day. He's another rider who could probably not talk about in terms of world tour, but he's a good rider. Um, now we'll move on to Scott Bowden, um, another Isoway rider, uh, mountain biker, obviously over there um, in the Olympics last year, did a great job in the road race over there, so we know he can race at this sort of level and do a job. Um, bad crash for him, though. Another another comeback story that he needs to, um, you know, and he needs to make that comeback. Um, what what do we think? What do you expect from Scott Bowden? Well, the test is on him now. He's he knows we know that he can produce what's required, but he's had a big setback, and it's about coming back from that and and getting back into shape and getting into race fitness. To be honest, it might sound a bit stupid, but I don't think we'll see anything really remarkable from him until January. Yeah, unfortunate the way that the injury has been timed for him. Uh, Chris Harper, um, more ice away. Um, He's probably the best climber at the moment in the Ice Away roster, which is, you know, saying a lot, because and it probably speaks to his talent at the moment. He won the Tour of Bright uh, last year, which um, obviously is a phenomenal achievement for any young athlete, and he's, he's really looked on, on form in those climbing races. He was also really good at Tour of Tasmania as well. Um, obviously, bitterly disappointed not to do uh, better um, after he... What was it? A dislocated finger at? Uh, yeah, it got cut really nastily at um, in a crash at nationals, and he had to have an operation on that. And then he's come back slowly from that. So I think we'll see the best of him coming later in the year, though. Yeah, well, he's uh, at uh, Mont Blanc Savoie tour this week, which starts uh, on Thursday, um, and he will want a big result there. He uh, was in fantastic form for Tour of Japan, but he got ill with allergies the two days leading into it, which affected him on the first day and took him out of the general classification. But he was in the breakaways there and showed some really good um, uh, form. So I can think that he'll do a really good result this week in France. And if he can do that, there's uh, Quickstep and other teams there that are, and Fortuneo, uh, that are racing. So he'll be well and truly uh, putting the score on the board. And we talked about Sean Lake earlier. Chris Harper actually set the same time as Sean Lake on that Tour of Bright um, t- time trial. So that shows you some of his ability there. Um, now on to a few Drapak Pats Veg riders. Um, Cyrus Monk and Matt Ross. Uh, we've had our differences about Matt Ross in the past, Pat, but he, he has stepped it up. He's gone to a next level on those climbs. He's been, he won the Mount Hotham stage of Tour of Bright, um, and he's been you know, winning at VRS level quite consistently these days. Um, out of those two, Cyrus Monk as well, also been in very good form. Out of, out of those two, do you think they could maybe... Maybe they'll get a go with um, with their parent uh, team at some stage. That would be the that would be the natural progression through to the World Tour for those guys, possibly. 
Yeah, I think it's possibly a, a chance, but I think and I, I think you're right. Both riders have stepped up. Cyrus was fantastic at the last stage of the Tour Herald Sun Tour. However, raced very uh, immaturely and probably cost himself a great result. He probably could have got a podium at least in that stage. So that's disappointing that he sort of wasted that opportunity because they don't come around all that often. I think both him and Ross have improved a lot. But like you said, they've been doing really well in the Victorian Road Series and we've got to keep that in its context. Uh, Matt was still very good in the Graham Inverell. So he's probably actually, in terms of results, he's a step ahead of Cyrus. But in terms of their actual abilities, I think a lot of people would score Cyrus above Matt Ross. Um, I think for mine, they both need another year of development. They need to keep doing the hard work that they have obviously put in and then have a crack at uh, Europe. Um, they'll head over to Europe soon with uh, Drapak Pats Veg, but I'm not so sure that it's the right time. And I think they're mostly doing uh, commesses over there. So it'll be interesting to see if they can distinguish themselves um, and put themselves on that world tour radar from that. Um, another one, an interesting one, um, an Axion Hagen's Berman rider, and that's a very good team to be on if you're a junior, uh, Michael Rice. Um, we've seen a bit of him in Australia. He probably left uh, to go overseas before he got really good, but he's won, he's won stages over there. He, he beat Peter Sagan in a sprint at one stage, and he's a very quick rider, Michael Rice. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not certain that World Tour is the next step he makes. It's probably Pro Conti that we're talking, or um, you're one of those bigger American teams. Well, he can't be in a better setup. Um, if you're a young rider and uh, that team picks you up, you've got talent because they don't just pick guys up for the sake of it. So um, he's definitely got the talent. He just needs to keep developing, and he's in a great program. They're fantastic. The guidance and the um, and the way that they manage their team is just emphatic. It's the type of setup that you dream of. Um, it's I, I liken the way that they go about things very much to the way Andrew Christie Johnson's ran his team for so many years, and I think that their systems work really well because the riders feel that comfortability in the uh, in the lineup and the process that the team takes. And I think Michael Rice, who's already put the score on the board at such a young age for the team, he'll get another go with the team going into the future. And when he's ready, they'll, they won't hold him back. That's the great thing about them. They don't hold guys back from the World Tour or Pro Conti if they have the opportunity. Um, but some teams do. and um, So he's very lucky he's not in one of those. And uh, now to throw one in, from a bit from left field, uh, Caden Groves um, won the men's junior national title last year. Um, very strong bike rider, and he looks like he's got a decent kick on him as well because he was second at the 800-metre uh, time trial or time trial prologue at um, the recent uh, Tour de Camano. And he's a St. George Continental rider and a phenomenal talent. Uh, he's definitely a few years off. He's a bit of a rough prospect at the moment, but um, it's, it's a different pathway to go through the St. George guys um, to maybe bigger and better things. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that it's uh, in vain. You know, he can uh, do what he needs to do, which is what everyone at his age needs to do, and that's go through the process, um, develop and get ready for the next step. But um, ultimately, it's not all about just World Tour. Um, you know, I loved my cycling career and what I got out of it 
which was far greater than any results. It was, you know, meeting people, learning languages, learning cultures, traveling. Um, yeah, sure, you shared in a lot of success, but for the majority of bike riders, it's it's not about the world tour because they don't make it. Um, but, geez, have fun along the way and it won't matter really. It's just a uh, world tour can be a bonus. Um, I look back with no regrets and never made it to world tour, but... Uh, I know plenty of people that have made it to World Tour that have not enjoyed their experience. So it's not all about the World Tour. I know we're focused on who can make it today, but these guys and girls, it's mostly important that they enjoy what they do and then when that all stops, they'll still be enjoying cycling for what it was really and that was um, a sport that they loved. Yeah, well, that's touching words, Pat. Um, unfortunately, in the media, you need to put labels on things and you need to quantify, you know, a person's success by external measures because it's um whilst it's lovely obviously to get that sort of um fulfillment um as you as you mentioned from you know a life well lived and um and doing well on personal um standpoints you you do need to have that sort of external reference when you're talking about somebody because it's i mean it's a bit wishy-washy to say oh i'm sure he's happy doing what he's doing i mean in terms of analysis of a person, so I think I think that's uh, it's a it's a point well made, Pat, and <laughs> we'll certainly take that one on board. Um, we'll, d- we'll devolve into a quick discussion of the NRS when we come back and the recent announcement uh, regarding race days, and then we'll finish up the podcast. Okay, and we're back talking the NRS National Road Series. Uh, shake-up in terms of race days in the past few weeks. Uh, there was a press release by Cycling Australia um, to the effect that there's no national capital tour this year and Battle on the Border will take its place. Um, what are the other ones? Margaret River it won't be an NRS race this year. It'll still be run, but um, not as a National Road Series race. Uh, two of Tasmania's moving, but in a weird way, Pat, um, it's moving. Cl- it's moving later in the season, and the original intention was to make it closer to that Longford Crit and the Standshaker Classic. But there's still nine days in between those two races, so teams aren't going to hang around for that and it's going to be an odd one. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you've got a take on that one. I'm not so sure that teams won't hang around. The organisers of the Stan Shaker um, and Launceston Crit um, and Longford, sorry, Criterium do a great job at uh, allowing hospital um, uh, stays for the uh, hospitable, not hospital. We don't, we don't want them to go to hospital. Um, stays for teams and riders, so I'm sure that uh, it could make for a lot of... Uh, might, Tasmania might be pre-season training camps. Um, ultimately, we've got to just race what there is to race. We said that last year. Last year was heavily affected. This year, not so much. It's not as affected as last year. So we've got to be looking at the progress that is, um, the steps that are going forward, and I think that... Ultimately, the calendar that was originally was too much racing um, for mine, and I think now this will allow the riders to really concentrate on doing the European blocks that they're in now or the American blocks, come back for the Australian uh, remainder of the season, and it'll also allow them to have a rest before launching into the national championships block, which will also now include Tour of Tasmania, um, and uh, the Longford Crit, Launceston Crit, and those other events that lead through. 
So do you think that Tour of Tasmania will be like the start of preparation for the Nationals then? Because going a bit later, it kind of um, it kind of doesn't allow you to rest after after that and then go to like a Tour of Bright or something like that and make that part of your preparation. So will there have to be longer lead-ups into the Nationals then, do you think? So you're going to have the two types of riders, those that take a break and uh, sacrifice Tour of Tasmania but use it as a preparation race and those that don't have the break. And, and so we might see an unlikely winner of the Tour of Tasmania. It might be someone like, and no disrespect intended, but it might be someone like Matt Ross. If he doesn't have a break and others do, maybe he'll take a big scalp and win a Tour of Tasmania. And that could be something that we could put him right on the map. Um, I would be having the break. I would be doing maybe uh, 18 days, 15 days of training leading into Tour of Tasmania, use Tour of Tasmania um, as your launch pad into your um, Nationals campaign. And, and I think that most people that do that, and we may even see some of your higher calibre riders from pro continental teams turn up for the Tour of Tasmania. Maybe that is the draw card to create a bigger and better field for the, the race. And I think it's a possibility. Yeah, that's an interesting viewpoint. I hadn't thought of it that way before. Um, there was one other announcement. The women's Melbourne to Warrnambool is, isn't going to be run as well. Um, I was surprised when they announced that originally because it seemed like it was going to be incredibly hard to do logistically um, with the various considerations that you have to have about race distance with the women and separating the pelotons, having two two separate police convoys over a you know an almost 300 kilometer course it was just going to be too hard and i think the the organizers you know finally bowed their heads to that um what was the other one the other one was the goulburn to sydney has been changed or goulburn to camden has been changed in direction it's orig- originally going to be camden to goulburn but now they've made it uh, goulburn to Cam- camden again and the, the i'm hearing good things about the fact that they're going to run it but um, that still that section along the highway there is always going to be at the crunch point, and getting the police to shut that down and make it safe is going to be the difficult part about that. But it'd be great to see that race back in back in existence. Uh, been 100, 110 editions of it, and be great to see it back on the calendar. Yeah, it's a great race. It's a tough race, and um, it's always a worthy winner of the event. I did it, I think, two or three times, and. Uh, they're always hard, but it is true that highway section, if it's not closed off properly, it's not very safe. And uh, the speeds that you get up to on the bike are high enough, let alone the speeds that the cars are also getting up to. So they've got their issues there. They've got to combat, and um, hopefully the event can be back. Well, that should just about do it for us. Um, been been a long one, unfortunately, Pat. <laughs> I didn't I didn't think it would be this long, but you know, when you get into chatting chatting about cycling, sometimes it can last a bit longer than you think. Uh, thanks for giving up your time, and um, sure sure to catch you catch you around later. Maybe some races um, in the second half of the season if you're going to King Valley or something like that. Yeah, I'll be off to the Junior Nationals Friday, Saturday, Sunday to do the commentary down there. So looking forward to seeing the young talent. Well, make sure you tune in to that. I mean, no doubt there'll be some coverage somewhere. Where, where's that head going up? Do you know? Uh, I don't know. My Twitter account will be going there. <laughs> okay, well, tune in to the hashtag on the weekend. And, yeah, it should be fun. Quick message from our sponsor. Make sure you go check out www.com.au. That's Out of the Rat Race Cycling Apparel for all of your kit requirements. And I think that should just about do it. You can follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, do all that stuff. Tell your friends, tell your family, and we'll catch you around some other time. Okay, see ya.